Teachers Talk Film, episode 37. Mitchell Main here reporting live and direct with my great friend, fellow co-host X-Ray. You may know him as Mr. Ray. Mr. Ray, we have we have a fun agenda today. Uh, tell the people, tell the nation what we're up to. Well, up, up on, on deck for us today, we have, obviously, you've seen the episode title by this point, so we're re- reviewing Moonrise Kingdom. I believe this is our third Wes Anderson movie. We've done Grand Budapest Hotel and Rushmore. Correct. Correct. Uh, we're also going to do a draft of the uh, just Wes Anderson things, just things that show up in his movies um, because they are so unique. Um, and we also have a shocking, a shocking piece of information from Mitchell Main that he's going to share with us now. Is it that we are, after we record this, going to see Across the Spider-Verse? I was just making that up, and I wanted to see what you did with it. Um, so, yeah, that that can be it. That can be your piece of information. Yeah, man, I'm pumped. I've been waiting. It's um, We're recording this. It's precisely 12.39 p.m. on a Tuesday afternoon. It's been out for a few days now, and I've avoided spoilers. I know it's good. That's about it. Um, I'm excited, man. This is this is a fun day. We're gonna talk a little a little Moonrise Kingdom. We're gonna watch some Spidey. Um, surely we'll unpack that one. Um, I'm excited, man. Do you have big expectations for it? Yes, I do. I just I for some reason I think maybe my phone's been listening to me. As you know, they do. Um, yes. Like all just all over my Twitter, it's like all I see. I just keep seeing tweets about it and. Uh, clips from it and like you said trying to avoid it all but um i have very high expectations for it i just saw that it's the like overall number one ranked movie on letterboxd right now like it's the the best ranked movie of all time Mm. is that marvel clout you think or do you think it's going to be authentically good no i think that it's going to be authentically good i mean i don't think it's going to be the number one ranked movie ever but I I watched a video the other day. It was like one of those movie lists. It was like top 10 animated movies. And they talked about the first Spider-Verse movie and just how like it it really changed almost everything with animation just cuz it did it in such a different way and like things had kind of been the same for a while. So no, I'm pumped. I am I'm pumped. And I feel like the first one kind of caught everybody a little off guard like I don't think people had that high of expectations for the first one like we just saw it as like a you know kind of child leaning animation story but it's really for everybody and so it obviously then had a huge success and now there's big anticipation big expectations for this one um it's all I've been thinking about if I'm being real I'm really really pumped really really excited kind of just want to not rush through this pod, but obviously just get to it. And then we're going to go see this movie at two twenty. So we, we have a good, good little midweek summer day agenda on tap for TTF today. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Maybe one of the best parts of summer is just going to the, the matinee showings of movies. It's not crowded. Hardly anybody's there. You just feel, just feels good seeing a movie knowing everybody else is working. Yeah. You walk out and it's still sunny and, you know, you have some of the day still left and you can think about it. And, you know, if you want to go again the next day, you can. That's the beauty of summer for teachers. Um, speaking of movies currently in theaters, I have I have an admission to make and I'm, I'm not proud of it. But you saw Little Mermaid? The... No, 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 no. <laughs> this, this is the place to share this, though. Have you seen Little Mermaid? No, I'm open to seeing it in theaters, though. Yeah, I think the chances of you seeing it are higher than me. Yeah, just wife, wife life. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, my my admission though, I kind of, I kind of really want to see the Transformers movie. <laughs> I, I have mm. no idea why, but I I've seen the trailer for it and just something. The, the eighth grader deep within me was just like, 
you know, that looks kind of interesting. And I know it's going to be bad, but I I don't know why. I want to see it. When does that come out? It comes out this month. Yeah, I think it, it might be out already. I don't know. Or this weekend, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. I'm if, Buy my ticket and I'll go. <laughs> I'm not paying admission for that. I know. I know. I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know. You know that's going to be on Paramount Plus before school starts. Yeah, you're very right there. But I don't know. It's definitely one of those movies that if you are going to watch it, you might as well just bite the bullet and see it in theaters because it's made for the theater screen, you know? Yeah, it would be way better. Yeah. Yeah, that would be the only justification. But buy my ticket. I'll go. I might have to. (laughs) Might have to check the runtime. If it is anywhere, if it's a minute over two hours, it's like, uh, no, I don't want to see it. No. Yeah, but yet you're the one who picks nearly three hour movies. No, we're past that. At this point. We're past that. We're past that time in our lives. Uh, we're past that. You can still do it. You can do it, but it's got to be a justifiable choice. You know, no. Um, what was it last time? I mean, Once Upon a Time in America was a good choice. I almost mm-hmm. risked my life and others as I was watching that. Um, but there were some other ones, some questionable ones that you chose. That I picked, I picked Lord of the Rings. That's not a questionable one. That You might as well make that. And again, I even paid for my crimes. I watched all three of them before we recorded. That's true. That's true. Um, you're not going to tell us yet, but do you have something spicy lined up for us next week? I do. I, I kind of want to pick like 2001 A Space Odyssey now just because that's so long. Um, but <laughs> I'd be I down. won't. I won't. Okay. Well, that's all right. I'm, I'm, I'm trusting in you, and I know that you have good taste. Um, like I said, my brother called you out on some of your poor movie choices. And face off. It yeah, was bad. I admit it. That was a bad movie, but it was fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, this one, Moonrise Kingdom, released in 2012, was an extremely fun watch. Um, before we get into it, we're going to do a little draft. It's been a minute since we've done a draft. Um, we're going to do a draft of just the top things that you see or are accustomed to seeing in Wes Anderson movies, like common common tropes, um, I'm going to just leave it at that because you could really take this any way. Wide open. Um, yeah, keep it wide open. I don't want to even hint at any of my my guesses here, my, my draft picks. Um, so we're going to draft our top five. And me being the courteous gentleman that I am, I will let you go with the first pick. And, and I'll take the first pick because I, I really like my first pick. I really like um, mine too. So I hope you don't take it. Uh, my, my first pick in the Wes Anderson things draft is symmetry. Okay. I like, I mean, that's, that's Wes Anderson's probably his claim to fame is just how he composes his, his shots and his frame. Um, I mean, every single Wes Anderson movie is a great example of it. Uh, I just, I love the symmetry. There were great examples of it in this movie. And like I said, in, in every Wes movie there is it's it's just I I, nobody else I think does anything close to what Wes Anderson does in that regard yeah that was on my list great pick you know it was going to be on the draft you might as well take it with the number one Um, you definitely can like feel if a Wes Anderson movie is a Wes Anderson movie by the symmetry so he kind of has that in his bag if you will um my first pick is overly confident young people. Yes, nah. that's a great one. We, 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 we got Sam in this one. We have Max Fisher from Rushmore. Um, we have, I believe his name's Dignan from Bottle Rocket, um, played yes. by Owen Wilson. He's, he's a young adult. He's probably like early 20s, mid 20s. Um, almost a little too confident. For their own good um but you know it just brings so much charm to the screen and you know the stories revolve around these overly confident young people a lot of the time and so that's my number one pick yes i max 
Max has to be the best example of that of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I find myself just thinking of Max at, at anytime I watch a Wes Anderson movie. I think he might be the best character in any Wes Anderson movie ever. I could concur with that. Yeah. Yeah, and a big part of that is how overconfident he is. And I think just how we, we see those kind of kids in our our line of work. <laughs> it's, yes. it's very relatable yes. to us. Yes. Well, why don't, why don't we snake back so you take back-to-back picks? Okay. My next one... My next one's a little loaded, and so I do apologize if I'm stepping on any toes. Um, but I'm going to just say poppy colors. Um, yes. We have, I'm specifically thinking about um, costume design. Um, we have, like, for instance, in Moonrise Kingdom, we have the hipster Santa Claus narrator who, <laughs> who wears the beanie and the jacket that are totally mismatched. Um, but on him, it just looks so perfect. The pastel colors pop on the screen. And oftentimes the wardrobe of the characters match the, the landscape in the background behind them. And it's just very poppy and it's, it's fun to look at. And it's truly artistic. Like when you're thinking about like film as art, like Wes Anderson has to be in the conversation. So poppy colors, number two. I had that on my list as well. I just had like color palettes because yeah, yeah. All, all of his movies are like that. Two things. First of all, what did what did you call him? What adjective did you put in front of Santa Claus? Hipster. Hipster Santa Claus. Do you do you know where you recognize him from? Um, it took mm. me to like five minutes left in the movie to figure it out. Now, have I seen him in another movie? You have. He's not in a movie though. It's a TV show. Okay. Um, give me a second. Um, I got the I got the producers of the show pulling up some images. All right, then I'll um, I'll mention my other thing while you're searching. Yeah, um, and I'll try I'll try to guess while I totally just block out your picks here. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I'm going to keep talking about color palettes because um that that is a huge thing. I I think probably my favorite one is Grand Budapest Hotel with like the the purple uniforms of the people that work in the hotel. Um, mm-hmm. like, yeah, it, it just perfectly fits into the movie as a whole. The pastry um, boxes. Yes, exactly. It's, it's just perfect. And then, yeah, this one, like you mentioned, it matches like the background of the movie. So like the yellow that they're wearing they're they're outside for the movie. It's yeah, it's just fantastic. Um, another one is, uh, have you ever seen the Darjeeling? Is it limited or unlimited? I think it's limited. I that's one I haven't seen. I think I've I haven't seen two of his films, and it's that one and the um, Life Aquatic. Oh yeah, Life Aquatic's another one with the color palette's crazy because it's all underwater. They're in a yellow submarine. It's yeah, um, but yeah, the Darjeeling Limited is like it's it takes place mostly in India, and all their their outfits are like yellow and brown and. It, again, just fits perfectly. So this guy, your, yeah, I, think I, you're I got upset when you I got it out. Up. His name is uh, Bob Balabin, and it's not ringing any bells. You know, the only guess, and I know it's wrong. He looks like one of the guys from um, the Flight of the Concords, but just like aged by thirty years. I don't know if you've ever seen that show. I have. Um, okay, he looks like one of those guys, um, kind of. But I'm, I'm, I'm stumped. You're gonna need to, you're gonna need to wrap me out of this. Okay, and yeah, I, I did what you did for like the entire movie. I was like, I've seen this guy before. I don't want to look it up. I want to figure it out. And then it finally hit me. He's Russell Dow Ripple. He's the head of NBC and Seinfeld. Oh, really? Yes. Well, he's not in there a ton, but it just. Just clicked. It was one of those brilliant mm. moments when you figured it out. He doesn't have the beard in Seinfeld, does he? Not as crazy of a beard, but yeah, he's got a beard. No, I would have never got that. Look at this man's swag, though. He's got this green beanie on. He's got his glasses, the circular framed glasses. He has a, a white minimal scarf around his neck. 
followed by like a it's like a tweeted red looking jacket like peacoat almost looking thing just hipster santa claus is the best way to describe him and he's a great Uh, narrator and it's a great touch whenever i see him it's kind of like seeing bob ross on screen like it just brings joy when i saw him pop up i do like that this is maybe talk about the movie too much but i love that he's the narrator but also a character at the same time Mm -hmm. like he talks to the audience but he's also part of the story he flies around in the plane and stuff like that like i that was just interesting to me yeah yeah he was excellent shout out bob balaban i don't know if i'm saying that last name right (laughs) (laughs) all right um for my second pick uh, I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take. We talked about this during our. Um, I know we talked about it during our Rushmore episode, and that is montages. Mm. Wes Wes Anderson is a master master of montages. Uh, we have the. You know, it's kind of the same as Rushmore in the beginning of this movie, where it introduces everything, like it's introducing uh, the family. It's just going around to all the rooms. They even introduce like the island a little bit. Um, but the one, the one, the Rushmore one always sticks out in my mind just because it shows our boy Max and all the things that he's, all the clubs he started and things he's done. And, um, again, like framing in it is all amazing. So montages, and I'll, I'll mention another one, maybe when we start a review. I like that one. I like that. Great pick. Yeah. There's, there's one that I was going to think of specifically for this movie too. Um, but yeah, I'll save it. I'll save it. What's your next pick? My next pick. This might be my favorite pick. Um, I don't have a good way to put it, but just unrealistic dialogue. Mm. Like the, the way that people talk is not how real people talk in his movies. And I just love it. Uh, there's, uh, there's countless examples, but just, the way that it is like super, super original, especially you mentioned like overly confident young people. I think one of the ways that he does that the most is that he just makes them talk like they are full grown adults. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always love when the kids are talking like they're just completely mature people. That was my next pick. I said I said stretched out dialogue and monologues. Yeah, which is kind of yeah. the same thing. But yeah, like kids are saying like like Sam will say something basically just along the lines of I like Susie, but then he has like this whole like monologue about her and like it's how no twelve year old would talk. It it's great. It's great. Yeah, they talk like they're old and it's wonderful. That yeah. was a great pick. Great pick. Kind of mad I didn't get that one. Um, my turn for two. Yes, this is your third. Yeah, so is it one one? Back and back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're up. But right. like I get yeah, two I picks, right? I'm snaking. We're snaking. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So I don't have to worry about which one I say first. Um Correct. you mentioned Seinfeld earlier. Seinfeld has a lot of just like subtleties to them, their episodes. It there it's a very much so like a show that if you're not intently watching, you're gonna miss a good eighty to eighty five percent of the humor and kind of just the wittiness of it. Um that kind of goes in with the dialogue, like you were just saying. Um, but I feel like Wes Anderson movies are the exact same way. These they're movies that you can't really like put your phone in your hand and look at your phone for seven minutes and then jump back into the film. You can, you'll, you'll understand the story still, but you're going to miss a lot of the, the charm, the wittiness, the humor, whatever it may be. Um, and I think the dialogue is a large part of that. Um, but I'm just going to broaden that and just say a lot of the subtleties in any Wes Anderson movie, I really appreciate. Yeah. You mentioned dialogue and I think that that's, you, you could watch a Wes Anderson movie and say like, Oh, that was, it was interesting but if you really pay attention like they're super funny you're right that you pick up on little things as you go um yeah they are it's weird because his filmmaking style is the 
opposite of subtle, but I I like how you how you put that. You got to pay attention. Yeah, there's kind of a juxtaposition between like visually what you see and then like what you hear and what the characters are doing. It's yeah, uh, that's interesting because it is very much so poppy landscapes and colors, but then the story, the plot is rather subtle, but it's also incredibly realistic, which kind of keeps it grounded. Um, I love my next pick. I'm very proud of this next pick. Um, Petty violence. (laughs) Petty violence. (laughs) Yeah. I believe there's um, a fight scene in Rushmore involving Max Fisher. And Bill Uh, Murray, right? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) An adult and a child. Yeah. Um, I believe that a child. Oh, there's that whole montage about it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, A child gets stabbed with lefty scissors in Moonrise Kingdom. Um, Owen Wilson gets hit in the nose, I believe, in um, the Royal Tenenbaums. There's just. There's an incident of blood and petty violence in almost every Wes Anderson movie, and I appreciate those. I'm trying to think in the Grand Budapest Hotel, somebody gets slapped, too. I can't remember if it's M. Gustav or if it's uh, the lobby boy. I'm trying to remember. But, That's yeah. the one I couldn't remember if what there was. I was trying to think there was violence in like the jailbreak scene, but I can't remember entirely. Yeah. I know in the Darjeeling Limited too, Owen Wilson is in that, and I'm pretty sure it's his character. He's like his entire face is wrapped up for like half the movie because <laughs> I, I think it's him and his brother get into a fight or something. I haven't seen it in a while, um, but no, that's good. Even the the dog dying in Moonrise exactly. Kingdom, like the, the way that it happens is just it's like glossed over and quick and yeah, that's a great. That is a fantastic pick, my friend. Mm-hmm. Thank you. In the in the fourth round, too, nonetheless. Yes, yes. That's my that's my dark horse. Um, shoot. I have I have four things left on my list, and I really like all of them. Mm. But I'm gonna take. I gotta take the soundtracks. Ah! <laughs> that was the one I just came up with on my head, top of my head. Um. Wes, I, I just, I, I won't say he's the king of soundtracks because I think Quentin Tarantino would probably fit that for me, but I just feel like every time I watch a Wes Anderson movie, I have Shazam at the ready because mm-hmm. I'm always, I just always know I'm going to add two or three songs to my playlist after I watch it. Um, th- this movie was a little different, but I feel like in every other Wes Anderson movie uh, I'm keyed in to the soundtracks the whole time. I agree. So are you, are you saying you didn't like the soundtrack for this one? Um, no, I'm not saying that exactly, but with this one, there's not like, there's not, there aren't songs from like bands. Like the, the, I think the music fits this movie perfectly, but it's not like, there was nothing that I was going to add to my add to my playlist, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, this is a great, this is great. I wanted to talk about a callback to a previous episode and it relates to the soundtrack. Do you remember two episodes ago? I believe we were talking about the wildly mediocre empire of the sun um, and how I was talking about how when Christian Bale sings, It sounds like he was sampled for the Star Room OG version of the Mac Miller song. Yes. Let me let me just play that intro for this song really quick. Um, I have an ad from a company really quick. Um, Here we go in five seconds, because I was super, super excited when I heard this and I just like my world was shook. Hold on. Can you hear that? Yes, I can. I'm just picturing Christian Bale in the choir. 
right, copyright issues. We don't want to play the whole thing. Um, do you remember when that's played in this movie? No, I have no recollection of that whatsoever. It's played in this movie, like right after the midpoint, sort of the dark night of the soul beat, where um, Susie is taken from Sam and they're traveling on the boat back yeah. to the island of Penzance, I believe. And Sam's just in the back room all by himself. And he's sitting there. He's very distraught, head in his hands. And I believe it's Bruce Willis's character that comes to talk to him. And that yeah. song is playing in the background. And when I heard that, that is... I just went absolutely bananas because what are the what's what's the possibility of that song? Arguably one of the rarer songs that we've seen in any of these movies being addressed a second time. No, that is an insane connection, especially going back to like you bringing it up and talking about it in Empire of the Sun. And then it popping up two movies later. That is, I see why you were going crazy. You were way more keyed in than I was. And the song is by Benjamin Britten. And it's called Songs, or it's a collection of songs from Friday afternoons. Hmm. And I added it to my Spotify. So is this something that you will I have many questions. Um, <laughs> num- number one. It's Friday afternoon. You get out of school. You're on your way home. Is this a song you will be listening to from now on? Does this get you pumped for the weekend? I think it might get me a little too pumped. You know, I might <laughs> I might just shed a tear as I'm driving home and then I'm in my feelings for the rest of the weekend. And, you know, I just kind of let the weekend pass me by because I'm just so entranced in the melody. Okay, next question. Um when you listen to this song, does it make you take a great interest in World War II fighter planes? <laughs> it does. So much so to the point that I actually added it to my classroom playlist. And I am going to play it at full blast whenever it comes on during classroom work time. Did you actually add it? I did. I did. It's only like a minute long. It just says that repeatedly. <laughs> Are you going to sing it like you just did? Uh, probably <laughs> if I'm being real, <laughs> I like it. I like it. Yeah. So that, isn't that just the most bizarre connection though? That's wild. Maybe we need to make that the like outro music for the podcast. Mm. Mm. <laughs> the producers can probably make that happen. Yeah. If they there's can no copyright issues, pay the fees and you yeah, know, all that. Good pay stuff. the fines. Um, Wow. How do how do I even follow that up? I was waiting for that. I was waiting for that. That's great. Uh I have one pick left. I'm gonna go with nobody does this as well as Wes Anderson, and that's the ensemble cast. Mm. Um just throwing I mean any you can take any movie. Bill Murray, um Tilda Swinton pops up all the time. Jason Schwartzman. Um, it, it's just awesome that all his movies have. Let's just throw all these names together. We talked about Asteroid City a few weeks ago. And one of the things I mentioned was just all the names attached to it. It's just. Oh, it's, it's crazy. It's Scarlett Johansson. And it's uh, Francis McDormand's Johansson. Yeah, it's it's awesome. So Steve Carell's in it. Like It's just. It, I, I just love that it's a bunch of people together i do feel like bill murray could have gone a little harder in this movie yeah it's he's way better in um in rushmore for sure agreed agreed um i got one more pick yes and you know this is gonna be my this is my fifth pick it's it's not great um but i'm just gonna go with overhead shots 
Um, mm-hmm. Whenever I think about Wes Anderson movies, there's the symmetry, obviously, as King. And then there's the overhead shots. Um, we see it all the time. Um, no further comment on that. I will say, though, Wes Anderson, he's he's climbing his way into my favorite director's list. Yes. Like, I don't, I can't think of a movie that he's made that he's dropped the ball with. Everything is quality. Everything has a great message. Everything is artsy and fun to watch. And, you know, I have high expectations for Asteroid City. And I think I'm going to put this out there into the world. I think Asteroid City is going to be good enough to the point where I'm going to say Wes Anderson is my is indeed my favorite director. Favorite number one all time. Perhaps. But I mean, it's hard to put anybody above Akira Kurosawa because just he's, he's a dog. Um, that's what I was going to, that's what I was going to mention. Is he, I, I, he's kind of like Jay Dilla though, in my eyes, like kind of untouchable, you know, like, yeah, like there's the conversation and then there's the, I'm way above the conversation. I feel yeah, like Jay Dilla and Kurosawa are in that way above the conversation category. Um, I, officially, Wes Anderson has entered the conversation, and I think he's going to be arguably my favorite, obviously behind Akira Kurosawa, after Asteroid City, because I do think it's going to be great. No, I totally agree with you. I was just, I mean, light flex. I've seen every Wes Anderson movie. Um, Strong flex. Which, yeah, feels good to say. And the only, I mean, Bottle Rocket I didn't love, but I'm, I give him a pass on that one. It's his first real one. But even and that's then, still so funny and enjoyable. I yeah. Mean, digging, riding the little crotch rocket around the neighborhood like he's 10. It's hilarious. <laughs> and then the only other one is the French Dispatch, which... Um, I think I gave it like a 70 something, but even then I need to watch again just because I wasn't prepared for it. Like I was, it was just like multiple different stories and everything. And I think if I watched it now, I'd like it way more, but you just look at the rest of his movies, Royal Tenenbaums, amazing. Grand Budapest Hotel, one of my favorite movies of all time. Rushmore, obviously we've talked about on the plot. Um, Isle of Dogs is super underrated. I love that Mm -hmm. movie. Um, I didn't even mention Fantastic Mr. Fox. Like, mm-hmm. it's, yeah, all his movies are great. I think somehow he is underrated. Um, yeah, it's crazy. What? Here's a question that comes up, and why don't more people do this? Like, why don't more people have their own unique original style that is so different than everybody else? Because I think some people do that. Like, if you... You can watch a Stanley Kubrick movie and you know that he made it. Like, he has his own style. I think Quentin Tarantino is kind of the same way. But I don't feel like that many directors have their own style that's as pronounced as Wes Anderson's is. I agree. And I think it's sounds kind of bad, but I, I think people don't want that. I, just, I think... <clears throat> I love Marvel movies. Um, I think people just want that Marvel movie experience. Yeah, the slop. Um, And there's nothing wrong with that, right? I mean, those stories are rather formulaic and they're fun to look at and they're fun to talk about for a couple weeks and then they pass and you forget about them until the next one comes out. With Wes Anderson, he's got this auteurship to the point like... You don't even have to know it's directed by Wes Anderson to just be like, ooh, this is a Wes Anderson film. Um, I think it goes back to a lot of the subtleties, too. Like, people, like, let's be honest, as humans, we kind of suck. Like, our attention spans are just not the best. Um, We want instantaneous entertainment. And with Wes Anderson movies, like, you're in for a treat, but you have to truly indulge in the treat you know you can't just passively watch um you have to intently look at it mute your phone if you have to um and just enjoy the ride because it, it it's not schlop um no disrespect to marvel movies and saying that um 
it's it's this sounds snobby but it is like high art i feel like and i don't think a lot of people outside of like just like the normal film viewer i don't think they appreciate it as much as a film studies teacher would per se i think one other thing as well you mentioned that you have to like you have to indulge in it you have to buy into it another thing you have to do with his movies i remember you remember that theater class that we had to take in college? Mm-hmm. I remember the professor of that class saying that, like, when you walk into a theater, like, re- there's no such thing as reality anymore. Like, th- things aren't going to be real anymore. You're, it's a, it's a stage. Things aren't, you can do whatever you want. And I feel like that also happens in Wes Anderson movies. This isn't reality. So you have to let go of, of any of what we commonly know of to happen and say, this is a movie. It's going to be crazy, weird and wild and different. And I think some people don't like that. Nah, I agree with that said, let's turn off this podcast and go see that new Marvel movie. (laughs) (laughs) That, that is so far removed from what (laughs) Marvel movies are. Yeah. Yeah, For real. For real. Yeah. Um, Let's get into this though a little bit. We've 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 been naturally talking about it. Um, we're thirty seven minutes in. What what do we like and what stands out? Moonrise Kingdom two thousand twelve PG thirteen release synopsis: A pair of young lovers flee their New England town, which causes a local search party to fan out to find them. What do we think, X Ray? Um. I guess I'll I'll lead off with this. I'll lead off on my like sour note. I think that this for me is in the bottom tier of Wes Anderson movies, mm. and it's and it's still a very good movie. Like that's my biggest takeaway from from all that. So we were just talking about how great he is. This like this is definitely not in my top five probably favorites. Wow. Um, yeah, but I I still think it's really good. I think this is my favorite. This is your number one? Yeah, I think so. Really? Yeah. Well, I'd love to hear why. Okay. Um, yeah, I was watching it last night, and I was like, my goodness. Do I have a new number one Wes Anderson movie? And, you know, coming to this podcast leading up to it, I think the answer is yes. And I think it's – there are numerous reasons. All the things we just talked about in our draft – Um, specifically with Moonrise Kingdom, I think it's beyond hilarious. I think it's heartfelt. I think it's got an innocent charm to it. It has like this like quaint homeliness sense to it. Like this could be like one of my ultimate comfort movies till the day I die. And I also think it's a satire on like adult superiority in a way, because (laughs) the adults in this movie are so ridiculous. Um, They think they're like so high and mighty and have it all together. When in reality, Sam is maybe the most organized and put together character. And he's a 11, 12 year old boy. Uh, I mean, we got Edward Norton playing Scoutmaster Ward and he he prioritizes his role as scoutmaster above it being his actual profession of a math teacher. <laughs> like at the beginning, like the kids ask him, yeah. um, what's your occupation? And he says, I'm an eighth grade math teacher. And then he keeps walking. And he's like, no, scratch that. I'm a scoutmaster and I teach math on the side. <laughs> yeah. Like it's just like the, the adults have all their priorities like out of whack um, Bill Murray has a line in the story where he says, like, I hope the roof just flies off this place and I get sucked into space. Like, yeah. he, he plays the perfect, miserable dad. Um, like the shot where he's like, he's got like a bottle of Jameson or wine or whatever. And he's like, hey, I'm going to go out in the back and just chop down a tree. That's <laughs> such a great line. Yeah, best. I was like, I hope I can um, not be like that, but also be like that one day. Um, there, there are times like that though, where he, you just, you just need to like go outside. He says, <laughs> find a tree to chop down. It's just like sometimes that's just what you need to do. 
Yeah, he's clearly he's clearly a miserable character, but he's also got a lovable charm to him. His wife's cheating on him um, with the police officer Bruce Willis, Officer Sharp, I believe, who is kind of like a childish figure who has his own sort of coming to age arc, coming of age arc at the end. Um, but they all have these sort of inadequacies that they fail to recognize because they're too busy manipulating the young kids. I thought that was really interesting and quite unique. I, I think that that's another thing that we could have put in our draft is the interplay between kids and adults. Like that is, that seems to be a recurring theme in Wes Anderson movies. Um, like the Royal Tenenbaums, I think is a good example because we, it's all about like the kids and their, their dad. Um, Rushmore is all about a kid and like he doesn't really have parents. So it's, he does have a dad, but he's not in the movie very much, but it's a kid versus adults. Um, and yeah, I feel like this one shows, you mentioned it as a comfort movie. It just shows how like great it is to be a kid. Like all, every adult in this movie has a, just like terrible problems that they're dealing with or their life stinks or they're yeah trying to escape things. And the kids are just like, just kind of not necessarily living it up. Cause like Susie, she's, she mentions that she's like sad and lonely, but they're also, it just shows that being a kid is it's cool. It's fun. Things aren't, things aren't, uh, I don't know, as big of a deal as they are to adults. It's so lighthearted and it doesn't take itself too seriously. Like it doesn't force the message on you. Um, it kind of reminds me of Napoleon Dynamite in that way. Um, like Napoleon Dynamite, it's it's an outrageous comedy. There's also like people say like it's a movie about nothing. I strongly disagree. I do think it is kind of like a coming of age story as well. Um and like you can unpack that message, but you can also just watch it for what it is, but for the comedy that it is. And I think this is kind of the same way. Um, there's so much heart to this. And I really, really appreciated that. And the kids bring that heart to the story. There's the the dancing scene when they're at the beach and they're just they just got the record player and they're just dancing. Um, there's the the kissing scene. <laughs> where they, they make out for the first time and then Sam directly spits afterwards. And he goes, I had sand in my mouth. I love and that he also like, tells okay. her. Yeah. He just says, turn your head sideways. Like <laughs> He's just very direct to blunt and how, how he deals with things. And they're the perfect pair. Like the characters are perfectly written for each other. Where Sam is kind of like the practical one trying to give her advice on how to stay hydrated by sucking pebbles. And <laughs> she's very much so kind of like this, like rebellious hips, not hipster hippie kind of character. Who's into like dreams and spirituality and stuff. And like their lives interconnect and it's a beautiful love story. And honestly, but it's just, it, they're 11 and 12 year olds. <laughs> I was thinking throughout this. I was like, this is, very much some Romeo and Julietness. Like they're they're running away. They're they're star crossed. They're not meant to be together. People are trying to keep them apart. Um, obviously, the ending's different because it's much happier. Um, but yeah, just it's like if if Shakespeare wasn't so uh, tragic. It's, mm -hmm. it's nice. It's a nice love story. Yeah. Yeah. Um. What do you think the budget was for this film? Hmm. That you could probably make this movie for like ten grand. Um, but <laughs> I don't know what what was the budget. It was a it was a budget of sixteen million, and it grossed just a little over twenty or sixty eight. Sorry, sixty eight million at the box office. Um, I think those numbers, <clears throat> like 16 million isn't that much, right? Um, I think it just no, I'm goes... I'm trying to look up another one. Yeah, look up um, Grand Budapest Hotel. But I think like 
I wrote this down. I was like, this movie probably wasn't that expensive to make. Um, but it doesn't like, it's not compromised because of that, because the story specifically love story is just so encapsulating. They made grand Budapest for 25 million. Mm. So yeah, right around there. What did that gross in the box office? Does it say, um, let me pull up IMDb. I you should look up like the uh, look up Transformers budget, the new one. Oh, I just yeah. want to I want to compare. We'll we'll give the audience like the apples to oranges here. Yeah, yeah. So the budget for Grand Budapest twenty five million. It worldwide it made one hundred seventy three million. So okay. And I think, would you say that that's his most popular movie? I would say so. I mean, yeah. That or Fantastic Mr. Fox, I feel like it's talked about a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I I lean Budapest, I think. Um, Coming from Reddit, so take it for what it's worth. Um. Transformers Rise of the Beasts budget is reportedly $200 million. <laughs> and it, what do you think it'll make? It'll make um, $800 million? Yeah, I definitely don't foresee it crossing the billion territory. No. I would say $800 million is high. Yeah, I think so too now that I think about it. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, that's what people want. That goes back to our conversation. That's what people are going to pay to see. They're not going to pay to see a Moonrise Kingdom, per se, um, if they have the option to go see Transformers, which kind of sucks. But And I also think at the same time, it's kind of nice. I think we've maybe talked about this before, that it's kind of nice to have like kind of different levels of fandom for movies, like that you, you reach these different levels where 90 probably 90% of the people who watch movies don't know what the criterion collection is. Mm-hmm. So it, it, this sounds again, kind of snobby to say it's nice to have some exclusion. It's nice to feel like you're that there are, there's room for growth. There's room for different niches. Nah, for sure. For sure. Um, with that being said, we're not gatekeepers. No. Yeah. Come to us with some movie wrecks and give us some movie wrecks as well. If you have any that you want us to review, let us know at Teacher Film Talk on Twitter. Um, what, what, in terms of like the the nuts and bolts of this movie, the production value, things that you liked on screen, is are there any moments, any scenes? I mentioned the dance scene, the makeout scene. Are there any scenes that stand out to you as we begin oh. to wrap? One scene that I really like is, I don't, I, I think it might be when we first meet Edward Norton's character, and he comes Jimmy out of his tent. He flew the coop. Well, <laughs> that scene is great, but just the whole our introduction to him, and it's just him, the way that it's filmed. It's like they're just going down the line, like it's just perfectly tracking him and everything mm-hmm. that he does, and he's checking in with all the khaki scouts and what they're doing. <laughs> It, it just sets up the weirdness of the movie and Wes Anderson so well. There's one shot specifically that just like, if I were to show someone what a Wes Anderson movie looks like, I'd show them this. He's Edward Norton's walking sideways and we're following him. We're like, can probably see him from like chest up. And then something happens in like the foreground, but we can't see it. And it just tilts down. And then it's perfectly, just perfectly, set up to where we have Edward Norton now in the background and this kid like lighting something on fire in the foreground, I think is what's happening. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And just tilts down perfectly. Everything's lined up. It's just a great shot. And then it tilts back up. And now the kids, I think the kids standing there, Edward Norton's behind them. And it's just like, just the planning of it and how symmetrical it is. I just love it. And then it keeps going. Like it's, I don't know. I just, I love that scene. It sets everything up so well. The treehouse crazy, crazy high <laughs> in that tree. Um, it's yeah, I I just love it. He's he's the perfect 
like man child to play this role. He has like perfect. Yeah, the child face. I love when like Sam goes missing and like he starts um journaling the days. <laughs> he's like sitting there in his tent and he's like all distraught and he's smoking a cigarette. <laughs> he's <Yeah>. like <laughs> it's really affecting him. Um he he was perfect. I love you mentioned the tracking, like that whole opening sequence where it's just the camera's tracking through the entire house. Yeah. And then it zooms out to the house and the landscape. You get this establishing shot of the red house, like just beautiful, beautiful work. Um, and again, that's what, what you expect when you watch a Wes Anderson movie, but uh, just so much to like, so much to like. Um, we, we mentioned dialogue and there's one piece of dialogue that I, that sticks out besides the, I need to go find a tree to cut down. Cause that's my favorite line in the whole thing. I think that's um, fine. But the other one is when Sam is talking to Susie and she's talking about like being an orphan and how she's like jealous of like orphans. And he says, he says, I love you, but you have no idea what you're talking about. Like that is, that's just such a great line. Again, it's like a kid would never say that. Like that's an adult line. Um, But I just heard that and I was like, I want to say that to students like every day. Like, look, I love you, but you need to quit talking yeah. <laughs> about what, like, you have no idea what you're talking about. And then afterwards, where an adult would get mad and, like, re resurface the argument, like, the scene just stops, and then it goes to a new scene, and they're all good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. I love that moment, too. Yeah, I love you, but you have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Yeah, I, there's I don't, there's so many more things I can mention. Um, the like silhouettes of them on the roof of the the church at the end. I love those shots when it's storming. Those look great, especially when they're hanging off the side, and you just get like the shot of mm-hmm. the three of them hanging off the the side of the church. It just looks awesome. It's like a um, yeah, yeah. It looks great. Love the dialogue. It's it's funny. Yeah. What was there anything else that you want to point out? No, I just thought of this one when um, Susie and Sam are missing, and like it's the Scouts, the Khaki Scouts, which by the way, just great name. Um, yeah. <laughs> the Khaki Scouts are with Susie's parents, and like I think it's Edward Norton who says it. He's like trying to console Susie's parents, and he's like, "Well, Susie's in good hands. Sam's an excellent marksman." <laughs> That is great. Like this dude's twelve. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and even and when uh he sh- when Sam and Susie show up to like I can't remember what it's called but the the other camp with all the other khaki scouts for Lebanon. Yeah the the Jason Schwartzman character looks at him and he's like oh good you have your something C badge and he's like I can. I have this guy who works on a harbor and I can uh, set him up with you. And like, it's just, yeah, it's, there's like mythology built into the, the movie already. Mm-hmm. And Edward Norton gets his badge and his, um his pocket knife stripped from him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so funny, dude. It's those little subtleties that make all the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What did you rate this bad boy? Is there anything else? Um, but let me talk about the soundtrack real quick to Oh no, no, I guess I already talked about it. I already talked about it. I think that the soundtrack is great. There's just not a like unlike you, I didn't I didn't take anything away from from this one, which I usually do. Um you got a little Hank Williams in here. Yeah, I know. I, I did look that up. I did look that up when I when I heard it. So I guess that that's some points there. For sure. Uh I gave it an eighty six. Okay. It's a good score. Again, not my favorite. It's probably in my bottom five. That's hard to say, but that, that that's where I'm at. Okay. 86 is a good score. I give this bad boy a, a 93. High praise for your favorite Wes. And, you know, with, with Wes, like, I don't, like, I don't know if he'll ever surpass like he i don't know if he'll ever make a film that will reach akiru or everything everywhere level for me right um and i don't know if i need that from him 
um, mm-hmm. because he's just so consistent. You know, he he's like a if you're thinking about a basketball team, he's going to give you 25 and 10 and eight every single night. And you you know what you're going to get no matter what. He's- there's going to be good output. He's much like the Nuggets. He he's consistent. They're good every year, but he no. might not win the championship, and that's okay. No, okay, never <laughs> mind. I take that back. Um, it was a good comparison, though. It was a good comparison. Um, the Nuggets are a mix of Wes Anderson with Akira Kurosawa, with a little uh, PTA, with a little uh, a little Quentin Tarantino spice. Um, you, you gotta know, put we got a go. foreign a foreign director in there too. Um uh, uh European um The guy who made the three colors series, that's a great series. If you haven't watched okay. that three colors, red, blue, and white. I think it goes blue, white, red in that order. Um great. You should check it out. It is on Criterion Collection. Um can't remember his name, and I would also mispronounce it, so um, <laughs> I'll save it for next week. But anyways, 93 critics from Rotten Tomatoes give it a 93 and the audience gave it an 86. Oh, look at that. Look at us. We're we're on the dot with both of them. Um, Obviously, that's not the goal, but interesting. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Anything else for the people? I know you have a, a spicy, spicy pick. Do you want to give your pre-score for um, Across the Spider-Verse? What do you think you're going to give it? Okay. Ooh, I like this. Um, I do want to do this. And as I do this, I'm going to look up the first one, my score for the first one. I should do that, too. I don't know what I gave it. Um, I was looking at your sheet yesterday. I was stalking you a little bit. Um, Oh, I will say I highlighted Moonrise Kingdom on my sheet. As a green. Yeah, as a green. So those of you who don't know, TTF Nation, if I highlight a movie on my spreadsheet as green, it is in the conversation for my all-time favorites. And this one is in that. So Spider-Verse, I gave a 98, the first one. Yeah, I gave it a 95. I think it's going to be, I'm dabbling like 94... 93 range prediction yeah i have such high i feel like this one's gonna be better so i gave the first one 95 i'll say a 96 okay we're gonna have to um, i I really don't want to go in that no i i don't like doing that given the movie that expectation but it's there i have to admit it well i'm sure we might we might talk about that movie and we'll we'll unpack it with the people yeah. um, because that's one that is going to need some unpacking. So um, I'm looking forward to that. It's literally less than an hour away. I got to eat my meatball sub and get the heck out of here. Um, <laughs> tell me what we're watching first uh, next week though. Movie for next time. An Al Pacino special. Ooh, yes. um, as much as I would love to uh, talk about the Godfather on here. Uh, this movie came out in 1975. It's called Dog Day Afternoon. Dog you... Day Afternoon. Yes. Do you know anything about it? Heard of it. Um, don't know anything about it. 1975. I honestly don't know. Said. I don't know too much about it. I know it's about a bank heist. I know it's Pacino, so I feel like it's gotta it's gotta be all right. It takes place in the summer, so I felt like that that fit as well. It's getting hot outside. Um, it's on it's on prime i think it might be on hbo max as well max yeah max max yeah it's it's on prime for sure okay dog day afternoon you said 1975 yes okay um i'm excited i'm down for a little pacino action um still crazy that you think scarface i know um you said godfather but scarface one of the worst movies you've ever seen it's wildly. I did not say one. Did I say one of the worst movies I've ever seen? Uh, I might be throwing words in your mouth, but what I will <laughs> say one of the most overrated easily. Okay, which is basically the same thing. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm just. <kidding. laughs> um. All righty. Well, is there anything else for the people? X-ray. That's all I got. All righty. 
Until next time, TTF Nation, stay up to date on things. Enjoy your summer. Go outside, my goodness. Go for a walk. Put on an audiobook and just and just wander. Um, get out in the sun. Maybe have a little bonfire. Um, meet up with your khaki scouts brethren and just go bananas. But also do your homework. Stay grounded. Watch Dog Day Afternoon on Prime or Max. And peace out. Peace out. Yeah.